The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? But I think for parents who assigned a gender to their child, that isn't like a bad thing, right? That is the thing that mainstream majority of parents are going to do. What I think people can do, though, is recognize that gender assignments can be wrong, right? We can get them wrong because Mm -hmm. gender is a really personally experienced thing. And no one, no one can tell me what my gender is except for me. No one can tell you, Alexis, what your gender is. And like our kids, right, get to, they get to determine what their gender is. And so what I really think that, and I'm seeing it happen with parents who might have assigned a gender, they let their kids know, you know, at two, three, four, five, six, 14, They say, I want you to know that I understand gender in a different way than I did when you were born. And I just want you to know that I took a guess about your gender and I recognize I might have gotten it right and I might not have. And I just want you to know that I am here for you, you know, and I think that what all we can do is say, here's the ways that I'm aware of that people can experience gender. Like if kids have more um, role models, right? Like if they can see trans characters, if they can see non-binary characters, if they can see more like intersex characters, like if they can see more representation and if we talk to kids about pronouns, our kids can tell us what fits, right? And then we just have to listen to them. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Kyle Myers. I am so grateful that I was able to sit down with Kyle to have this conversation. As many of you know, my youngest child, Dakota, has identified as either gender neutral or possible or possibly as male, sometimes female. And as a parent, I had no idea how to handle this. I grew up in a very hetero world like we all did. And I just knew that no matter what, I wanted to make sure that I supported Dakota. So that way Dakota feels unconditionally loved and accepted no matter how they end up identifying. And so I started following amazing people like Bethany Myers, who has no relation to today's guest, Kyle Myers. And I came across Kyle's Instagram, which was really interesting uh, because she is raising a gender fluid or gender curious, gender neutral child from birth. And since following along with Kyle's 
journey, I have learned so, so much. And I feel inspired and empowered to really do this work now. So I hope that you guys have as many major takeaways from this episode as I did. I learned so much. And you guys know I have such a curious mind and I'm always open to learning more. So while you might not have a child yet or you may, you know, really identify as whatever gender um, you were assigned at birth or if you change genders, great. I think that this episode is an awesome opportunity to learn and to explore our past belief systems and to really take a deep dive into the societal constructs around gender. So with that, Here is this week's episode with Kyle Myers. You already know the importance of taking care of your skin. Whether you're worried about dullness, redness, fine lines, or acne, trying to find the right treatment can be frustrating. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare. Meet Rory, a digital health clinic for women. Rory is a sister brand to Roman. Like Roman, they make it simple to connect with healthcare professionals online and to see if personalized prescription skincare treatment is right for you, all from the comfort of your home. Right now, you can go on your phone or computer and complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. And if appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you and your skincare needs. With Rory, you don't even have to go to the pharmacy. Your custom skincare is delivered right to you with free two-day shipping. You can also follow up with a healthcare professional anytime if you need to make a change to your treatment or if you have any questions. They're with you every step of the way on your skincare journey. With Rory, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. You guys, this sounds amazing, especially while we're all stuck at home anyways. Why not work on our skin and get it glowing? Go to hellorory.com forward slash reality to try out Nightly Defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor and your first order is $5. That's hellorory, H-E-L-L-O-R-O-R-Y.com forward slash reality. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I'm Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters. The people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in this May for our premiere episode and catch a new episode every Wednesday. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. Gosh, lots of similarities in our story as I was learning more about you. I'm also a bisexual woman in a heterosexual relationship with, I have two little munchkins. 
And I didn't come out publicly until last year. And so that was kind of like a huge moment for me, despite the fact that my first consensual sexual relationship with was with females. So it was just something that I kind of like hid and kept to myself my whole life. So learning that about you is really, really cool. And often people ask like, how do you do it? And so I guess I'm going to ask you that same question as a genderqueer person in like a, what looks like a typical marriage. How does that work? How does being queer work in and a in, in a, a straight appearing straight marriage? Appearing marriage, yeah, yeah. I think that that's a question that a lot of people have, but I think the other question is how much do we assume about every marriage, right? Like, what types mm-hmm. of assumptions do we have that we place on all types of marriages? And sometimes there's these stereotypes. Oftentimes there's these there's these stereotypes that I myself am guilty of falling into, like maybe thinking that a gay couple, like two men are going to be more um, likely to be non-monogamous than um, a lesbian couple. Right. And like, I just think that there's these tropes and these stereotypes that we have been drenched in forever and ever. And so I have actually tried to like step back and try not to assume as much about anyone's marriage, right? And I think that we get into a lot of trouble when we do that. And, you know, and then we're like over here tripping over ourselves all surprised when you find out someone is queer or someone is non-monogamous or someone is monogamous or, you know, is like so uber straight. But I think in our relationship with Brent and me, from the very beginning, we talked about all sorts of things. Like when we first met, we met in 2014 and I was really straightforward with him. I was really queer forward with him. I told him like, I'm a queer person. And, and I was like, I am so into you and I don't expect you, like, I just want us to be able to communicate about this and that you should know that I I'm attracted to people who are not cisgender men. And I have had relationships with people who aren't cisgender men. And I wanted to just come into our relationship being really honest from the get go. And I think that that comes from being a queer person who's femme and I'm read as straight all the time. And now that I'm in a marriage with a cisgender man, like, my sexuality is invisible unless I talk about talk it, about you know? It. So I feel, so I feel really um, responsible for, for coming out all of the time and any opportunity that I can and identifying as a queer person, because I think it's really important for people to wrap their heads around that, you know, like how people ask me all the time on Instagram, like, but how can you be queer if you are married to a man? And it's like, this that's the most backwards logic, you know? I mean, yeah. how can you, how did you know you were straight before you had ever been in a relationship with someone of a different, you know, sex or gender than you? Like, and I think that that's such an unfortunate part about this is that this like expectation that you have to prove it too, right? Like, you can say and be a queer, like a bisexual woman and have never had had 
any type of sexual or romantic relationships with women, right? Mm -hmm. And then that like, that's fine, you know? And I think that there is this like constant, like prove it, (laughs) like mentality around it. But I feel really fortunate that I have a husband who is not homophobic, who is really comfortable in his own sexuality, who's really comfortable um, with his wife's sexuality and is open to challenging the traditions and norms and assumptions, you know, that like, because I'm married to him, I'm not going to ever be attracted to anybody else ever. Exactly. Yes. My husband's the same. And like when people, so when I first told my husband that I was bi, it was when we were dating and he was like, oh, okay, girl's cool. You know what I mean? Like, I think he had a typical male response of like, that's hot. All right. Let's like bone. Like he was just like a dude. Like he just didn't, (laughs) he didn't care. But he's definitely very progressive and very woke. And it was interesting because several years into our relationship, when I was coming to terms and becoming more selectively out with my bisexuality, he was like, well, let's talk about this. And I was like, there's nothing to talk about. Like, I'm married to you. And this is just the way that it is. Like, and I'm happy. I love you. We've been married for eight years, very happily. Two kids together. Love this relationship. He's a great person. And he goes... Well, I I just, I think we should dive into this a little bit more. And I'm like, what are you fishing for here? Like, I'm happy. Like, are you trying to like make me want to say that like, I want to be in an open marriage or something like that? And he goes, I just want you to know. And this was like the sweetest thing ever and made me fall in love with him a thousand times harder. He was like, if I'm not meeting a need of yours and you need to have some time with a female outside of this relationship, I fully respect that. I was like, first of all, whoa like I don't think many men are that I think they um fetishize you know same-sex relationships for females um or people appearing female um but I don't think that they like when it comes to testing their own masculinity or feelings of self-worth I think a lot of men would easily feel jealous or insecure around that. Like, why aren't you getting what you need from me? And my husband was just like, if you're not getting in here, it's okay. And I was like, no, I'm really happy, but thanks for the offer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and how incredible would that be if more people talked about that or acknowledged that? Like I can remember Zoomer was so teeny tiny. They were like weeks old because I was, I was either like right about to go back to work or had just started going back to work And we, Brent and I have always tried to have conversations about like, what are the things that are expected of us because of gender from society? And like, what do we actually want? You know, and we were having conversations about like parenthood completely changes your relationship dynamic completely, right? Like when you have this other little person to look after and being able to have conversations around like, I love you and I'm really committed to this partnership and this marriage and to parenting this awesome little kid with you, but also wanting to recognize that I can't make you feel like I got, like I made you feel the first month we were together, right? Like that ship has sailed. And I, you know, I mean, of course there is a strength that comes in our relationship the longer we're married, but being able to surrender to the fact that like, you're an attractive dude, Brent. Like people are going to find you attractive. And I don't, and I want you to be able to lean into that. Like that is such an awesome experience of being a human. It's like being flirted with and feeling desired and like 
lean in baby, you know, like, you know, don't, I, I would hate, I would hate for him to be in a situation where he was getting attention that he so deserves and was having to try to like put up this like socially constructed, like monogamous wall in between that. Cause I feel confident with what we have. I feel really, I feel really secure in our marriage. And I don't think that having the human experience of being a sexual person and being flirtatious and seeing, you know, and connecting with people, I hate that, that there would be an assumption that marriage takes that off of the table for him. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that more people need to have those conversations, especially because I don't want to like be misquoted here with the stat, but a lot of people have relationships while they're in marriages. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we were just more honest about it, right? Like if Zoom, if if Zoomer, if Brent was to have a relationship with somebody else while we were married, if he was being honest with me about it, that wouldn't feel like infidelity to me because there was like communication happening. And I just wonder how many feelings could be spared or relationships, you know, could have the potential to weather through something like that if they just were more honest about that kind of stuff. Y'all know what a big fan I am of Cured Nutrition. I think I've been talking about them since the inception of this podcast. I'm a longtime lover of all of their products. For me right now, I am really struggling with insomnia and their nighttime zen blend knocks me out for a good eight hours, but not with the kind of like groggy, can't get up in the middle of the night with the kids, but just a deep, restful sleep. And I am so, so grateful. Cured Nutrition is a Colorado proud company who has put quality local sourcing and a strong brand behind their name since its inception. They're on a mission to harness the healing power of nature with products that the body was designed to thrive on, perform, balance, and recover from sunrise to sunset. CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep, decrease inflammation, and reduce the body's stress load. Their mushroom plus CBD blends, full-spectrum nibbles, tinctures, and treats work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. Plus, how many other companies can say that their products are locally sourced and crafted in-house. I'm such a huge fan of Cured. I've been using them for over a year now, and I can't say enough good things about this brand. Each Cured product is third-party tested for potency, purity, and the absence of harmful contaminants like microbials, pesticides, and heavy metals. Fully aligned with complete transparency, they've even published their details directly on their website. Right now, you can go to curednutrition.com and use the code Alexis25 for 25% off your order of $50 or more. Again, that is code Alexis25 at curednutrition.com for 25% off your order of $50 or more. And also sexual, sexual attraction does not equate to love. Like that's the thing. Like I have felt sexually attracted to a lot of 
women and other men in my life. I got married to my husband when I was 20. So I think it's like different because my husband was 35. We were the 15 year age gap. So now I'm 29 and he is turning 46. And so it's interesting because for him, he's like, I waited a lifetime to get married to you. And by the time we were married and had kids, he's like, I'm done. Like I've seen all of the strippers, all of the prostitutes. I've done all of the things, Alexis. Like, you know, like when I went to Vegas and came home, like that was my first time going to Vegas as like a legal person. He's like, did you go to a strip club? I was like, no. He's like, why not? <laughs> you know, and so, but I just love that about him. And the fact that he initiated that conversation, because that's a conversation that me being a, in quotes, good girl doing the right thing wouldn't have been comfortable to necessarily talk about with him, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so props to all the men who are listening, who are getting woke. We love it. We love to hear that. But that's, I, I want to get into parenting because so a little bit of a backstory. I gave birth to my first and raised her very traditionally and she identifies as a girl. We've since had this conversation and she is a girl in every sense of the bit. She like loves it. She just, she wants all of the things girly. She's girly through and through. Not to say that boys can't be too, because they can. But so then my, I had my second child who was born female. And at the age of two, Dakota started to correct me when I would say things like my girls or come here girls or um, whose mama's baby girl. And I was just, I wasn't even aware that we were as a society starting to have these conversations around gender and like how many different variations to gender there are and what the proper terminology is. And I'm still learning, which is why I'm so excited to have you on. Um, Dakota is now four and Dakota spent a year and a half identifying as male. So until Dakota was three and a half, she would correct anybody and everybody who said that they were uh, female. And just recently, Dakota has been going back and forth. I almost said she. They are, and this is, it's such a work in progress. I mean, unlearning Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. wow. Like Mm -hmm. when you actually have a child that you're doing this with, this is not easy. But when Dakota started to, and this is where I love input on this, body parts they're getting interested in and, you know, the kids still bathe together and stuff because they're little, you know, my oldest talks about her private parts and, you know, all the normal kids. Mm -hmm. So we're in this period where, and it was kind of a shock to me. Like I remember sitting down with one of my trans friends and going, I think, I think Dakota might be trans, but then um, I I don't want to label it. So like, what is the right thing to do? I don't even know what the right thing to do. Maybe, maybe Dakota's non-binary. So we're in this interesting period right now where Dakota uh, most of the time identifies as male, sometimes goes by female or once, you know, corrects me and says, no, today I'm a girl. And I'm like, okay. Um, but there's just so much to unpack between like my parents' thoughts about it. Wow. Grandparents out there, very hard, tricky thing to navigate, turns out. <laughs> yeah. um, and just overall, like, 
what is the right way to go about this? And I know that there is no perfect or right way, but if there's anybody who's an expert, it is you. So can you walk us through your journey and your decision to raise a, is it non-binary child? So we use the term gender creative gender parenting. Gender creative yeah. parenting. Mm-hmm. Love it. So I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah. Well, first, let me say that Dakota is so lucky to have you as a mom. The most, the most important thing for kids is to have supportive and loving and accepting families. And I think that they understand the intentions of their parents, you know? And so even if you're slipping up with pronouns or words or right, like you are trying to kick a habit of using words that you've been using your whole life. And especially like all of the time as a parent and don't be so hard on yourself. It absolutely sounds like you are here for wherever Dakota is going to land. And it sounds like you're a really soft spot for them. So I just want to say that to you. Um, so I do something called gender creative parenting. I think that a little bit of background that's important to know about me is that I have studied and taught about gender for over a decade. I have a gender studies degree and I have a PhD in sociology. And so before becoming a parent, I became a parent to Zoomer in 2016. They are four and a half. And In all of my studies and in teaching gender and sexuality, I learned so much about gender disparities and gender-based oppression and violence and inequality. And because I'm a social scientist, and I mean, virtually every social scientist would agree, and I think now most people, like gender is this social thing that we have created, right? And that we have kind of put these roles and norms and expectations onto people because of their bodies. Um, So before I had Zoomer, I was just learning so much about gender inequality and studying it that I felt like maybe there could be something that I could do a little bit differently in, in parenthood that might be able to spare my kid some of this pain or like some of these stereotypes, right. Or some of these microaggressions. And I also Um, can we pause for one second, just to get some clarification, because I think when people think about gender disparities, they think in terms of females and your TEDx talk was, I highly suggest everybody go and watch Kyle's TEDx talk right now. Um, right after this podcast rather. So, cause it affects (laughs) men to boys, males too. Can you give some examples on what you're talking about? Because I think once that really made it click for me when you talked about that in your TEDx sure. talk about, you know, how this affects both genders, the, the context. Yeah. 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 And I would say all genders. Giving back is something that's really near and dear to my heart, especially when it deals with addiction. Addiction right now is an epidemic that is rocking our country, and Clean Cause is on a mission to support recovery in America. Clean Cause beverages are an organic, 
sparkling yerba mate that contain 160 milligrams of better for you caffeine. Clean cause drinks provide a smooth sailing, pick me up and sustained energy without the crash or jitters. It's great for keeping focus at work, boosting your workout and to keep up with the kids. They have eight super refreshing, low to no calorie, low to no sugar flavors, including blackberry, watermelon, mint, peach, and cherry lime. Clean Cause is available nationwide at Whole Foods, on Amazon, or at cleancause.com. I really, really love this company, especially because they are on a mission, and I'm right there with them. To date, Clean has granted over 1,500 sober living scholarships, representing more than $750,000. That's something that I can get behind. Right now, our listeners can take 20% off your next purchase at cleancause.com using code reality. Every purchase makes a difference in supporting addiction recovery. That's cleancause.com using the code reality. So often when people think of gender, they think of like yes. girls and women, but right, right like yes. everybody, everybody has some type of relationship with gender, whether they identify with like a binary gender, like being a girl or a boy or a man or a woman or if they identify outside of the gender binary, like being non-binary or a demi-boy or, uh, or a gender. So I think that it's really important to know that like everybody has some type of an experience with gender. And when it comes to oppression or inequalities or privilege that people have, everybody also experiences either privileges because of their gender or oppressions because of their gender. And sometimes people can experience both like privileges and oppressions, right? Like being someone who I have a lot of privilege having, having been raised and like living as a, I mean, gender queer fits me better now, but I also get read as a woman and my life is easier because of that. Also because I'm a white, able-bodied middle-class woman, but I have an experience where I have fewer privileges than someone who is like a white, able-bodied, middle-class man. And I have just so many more privileges than people who are transgender or non-binary, generally speaking. So I, I, while I do think everybody can experience some gender inequities, like boys, for example, like it comes as no surprise that boys are told from a very, very young age to man up, to not cry you know, that boys will be boys. They're expected to take a lot of risks um, to prove masculinity. Like, you know, they're kind of being trained to be these like rough and tough, strong men um, through their childhood. And a lot of the time their, um, their connection to their emotions gets socialized out of them. And then we see in adolescence and adulthood, men are much more likely to die by suicide than girls and women Men are more likely to like abuse alcohol. Men are more likely to take risks like not wearing helmets or not wearing seatbelts. And that isn't because like their man brain is so big, a helmet doesn't fit or like their man dick is so big, a seatbelt doesn't fit. Like this isn't a biological thing or like a bodied thing. It is social, right? Like they have been taught to ward off like safety and help and health, you know, health promoting behaviors. So the sunscreen one was a big one for me. 
Like that was, I was like, whoa, because it's so true. So the, the TEDx talk said, you know, uh, because sunscreen is more targeted towards women, right. And like uh, women keep your skin nice, the whole thing, men are more likely to have sun or skin cancer as a result. Yeah. And then be less likely to try to seek treatment for it. So more likely to die, like die from it too. So, you know, there's gender inequities and harms are not only experienced by girls or non-binary people or like other marginalized genders. Everybody experiences it. Right. But what I think is really important is that it's all in relationship to like the patriarchy and masculinity. Right. And like the gender binary and this hierarchy that like boys and men are in power, you know, and, and girls and women and people who are outside of the gender binary are not. And so I think that there is a lot of harm that comes out of the gender binary for everybody. And I think my mission is just to try to like help people slow down and stop and critically think about the things that we do and the behaviors that we perpetuate And I think that there's so much attention right now, rightfully so, and so overdue around anti-racism. And you can't be looking, you can't be trying to be anti-racist without also trying to be anti-sexist. So I think the same questions and a lot of the same like awakenings that people are going through of like, wait a minute, like white supremacy you know it's like yeah and like are you benefiting from it or are you oppressed by it and how are you contributing to this you know like to white supremacy continuing it's also really really wrapped up in patriarchy and um, misogyny and I think that I just want people to like while you're awake and paying attention to this like it's all interconnected right like our experiences as people our race matters or our gender matters, our sexuality matters, our class matters, where we're from matters. Like there's just a lot to unpack here and it can be scary for people, right? Like that's been the whole point of these systems of power. Like they haven't wanted us to wake up to this and now people are and it's fantastic and there's a reckoning going on. But I I think I want people to know like this is a marathon and not a sprint. Like yeah. you're not fixing yourself overnight or your or your circumstances overnight. Like this is a lifelong game and you just have to wake up every day and commit yourself to being anti-sexist, anti-racist, right? And, no, and knowing that like you're going to make mistakes along the way, but maybe you could try to do better than you did yesterday. I think it's really interesting because as someone who is like a proud feminist, right? Like meaning that I want equal rights for women. Uh, Really, I want equal for all people. I want equity to be reached for all. And so it's interesting because, and that's not to say that I, I can already hear the commentary about like, well, that's like Black Lives Matter and saying all lives matter. It's like, well, because I say Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that all lives don't matter. It's just that Black lives do. And same thing for women and transgender lives and all of the lives of all genders. The point that I'm trying to make is that raising children, <laughs> I think that we have this idea that the way to have more women in power and to achieve that equality there 
is to raise really strong, brave girls who are like educated about like Michelle Obama and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and like all of the things. And that was what my thoughts were, right? That's what my thoughts were as a parent. And when I started doing this work, when Dakota started identifying as male, I realized, no, that's not the work. It's not the work. Learning about those incredible people in our history is an, is an amazing thing and we should be teaching our children about them, but that's just not the work. The work is what you're doing. And so I totally got off track there, but I just really wanted to clarify for people. But um, you made an intentional choice before you gave birth to Zoomer that you were going to raise them as, I'm sorry, the terminology. Without, without an assigned without gender. Without an assigned gender. Yes. Right. So can you explain what that looked like? I mean, I'm sure that started in pregnancy, right? When they mm-hmm, start, yeah. what's the sex of the baby? What's right. And, and I heard something interesting the other day that I didn't really understand that sex and gender are not the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's an important clarification to make. So when I'm talking about sex, um, I'm talking about kind of more of the biological components. And so someone's sex chromosomes, someone's hormones, someone's reproductive organs, their anatomy, their genitals. Um, I'm talking more about their like anatomy and physiology related to like their reproductive capacities, essentially. And then when I'm talking about gender, I am talking about the social and cult- cultural norms that um, we tend to assign to bodies. However, Gender is really just like how somebody identifies and how they think about themselves and how they want to express themselves and their behavior. And so when I'm talking about sex, I'm talking more about like the biology of things. And when I'm talking about gender, I'm talking more about the social side of things. But I want to put the asterisk there that it's also very complicated, right? And it's not, I don't think that sex is unchangeable. I think that, um, right? Like people can use hormones, you know, and kind of get different outcomes that they want for themselves, like a mustache, um, if they want to use testosterone or they can you know, use estrogen and they can, um, they're like body fat, you know, can kind of like redistribute, which is fantastic. So I don't think that it is the right thing to say that like sex is static and immovable. Cause I don't think that that's true. Um, but when I'm also talking about sex, I'm not talking about in a binary. I don't think that there's only males and females. There are also intersex people. Mm -hmm. And females are, if you were to take all of the females on the planet, there would be more variation among all of the females than there would be between like females and males generally. So I think sometimes we just simplify sex way too much and think like anyone who's male is going to have a really identical experience and anyone who's female is going to have an identical experience and anyone who's intersex is going to be, but that's just not true, right? Like I may be actually much more similar to people who are male than I am to other people who are, who are female or so I just, I like to blow that up a little bit. Um, so zoomer of course has sex chromosomes and they have genitals and they're going to go through some type of a puberty, right? Like that is really determined by how they were born. And so I don't ignore 
that fact, right? That they have body parts. And I tell them all the words that they need to know to understand what those body parts are called and give them a lot of like autonomy and empowerment around their body. But what I didn't want to do was make any assumptions that I would know what their gender identity would be. And so I didn't assign them as non-binary or a girl or a boy. We just kind of like left the gender card blank and knew that over time they would absolutely know who they were, right? Like even for someone like Dakota, who was like assigned a, a gender label was like, oh no, no, that's not It was very right. much you, so you know? treated as that gender label, like without, you know what I mean? She just, right. the hand-me-down clothes, the whole thing. And it's interesting because Dakota doesn't even seem to really care about clothes. I mean, maybe a little bit now that they're four. Yeah. Uh, when was yeah. Zimmer's birthday? March. Okay, March so she's June. Um, so they're both oh. newly four, right? So Yeah, yeah. Zimmer will be like four and a half next yeah. month. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. just this really... I don't want everyone thinking, oh, now I have, I have messed up or whatever. I think that this is a really interesting thing. And just know that even if you have raised your child in this traditional way, they might express otherwise and Mm -hmm. that they'll always know what they need and, and who they truly are. Yeah. And I think sometimes, so people will find out like, so what I have done, you know, is we didn't assign a gender. We don't tell people what Zoomer's sex is because we don't want people to try to start like treating them like a stereotype. Um, Mm -hmm. And we, really create this really gender creative world. So Zoomer gets access to everything, right? Like, I think sometimes people think like, oh, gender neutral, this must be so like beige and gray, you know? And it's like, no, we buy Zoomer everything. Totally. Like they're going to get the tutus and they're also going to get like the soccer outfit. Like it's everything, right? Like we we make sure that they have access to all of the clothes and all of the toys and all of the adjectives. We're just like, let's give them everything, every opportunity. And that way, like they'll be able to follow their own interests, right? Like instead of us trying to kind of like push them in one direction or another. So that's what we did for the first several years. And like Zoomers four and a half and they're starting to like gravitate towards like a specific gender identity label and pronouns. And so I'm having to do the same thing as you are doing in having to retrain my brain. And I am going to let Zoomer tell their own, you know, story about their gender journey when they're older and ready to do that and can understand how to do that. I just try to talk about how, you know, I, how I parented this way. But I'm having to do the same thing, like slipping, you know, using they, them pronouns around Zoomer and having to go, you you know, and like quickly correct into the Mm. pronouns that they want. And I think that like, that's all we can do um, as parents. And like, I'm overriding it and I'm going to, you know, I'll get there so that I can be using the pronouns, of course, that Zoomer wants me to use for them. But I think for parents who assigned a gender to their child, it, that isn't like a bad thing, right? That is the thing that mainstream majority of parents are going to do. What I think people can do though, is recognize that gender assignments can be wrong, right? We can get them wrong because mm-hmm. gender is a really personally experienced thing. 
And no one, no one can tell me what my gender is except for me. No one can tell you, Alexis, what your gender is. And like our kids, they get to determine what their gender is. And so I, what I really think that, and I'm seeing it happen with parents who might have assigned a gender, they let their kids know, you know, at two, three, four, five, six, 14, they say, I want you to know that I understand gender in a different way than I did when you were born. And I just want you to know that I took a guess about your gender and I recognize I might've gotten it right and I might not have. And I just want you to know that I am here for you, you know? And I think that what we, all we can do is say, here's the ways that I'm aware of that people can experience gender. Like if kids have more um, role models, right? Like if they can see trans characters, if they can see non-binary characters, if they can see more like intersex characters, like if they can see more representation and if we talk to kids about pronouns, like our kids can tell us what fits, right? And then we just have to listen to them. Yeah. And our kids know, like, I think when Dakota started to identify as male, everyone was like, oh, this is just a phase. This is just a phase that Dakota's going through. They would say she. And I was always in the camp of like, absolutely not. I'm not traumatizing this child. And we are Mm. respecting whatever Dakota wants. It's interesting because, so um, getting into grandparents and other family members, because this has been definitely a a challenge uh, for our family in a lot of ways. I started to request that, we ask Dakota how Dakota's feeling that day and that we respect whatever Dakota is saying. So when we get up in the morning, Dakota now has a very diverse clothing selection, which I love that you talk about from the beginning, go into both the boy and girl section of toys and of clothing and shorts or shorts. Like even if Dakota ends up identifying as female, and she wants to wear male clothes, or if Dakota ends up identifying as male and wants to wear female clothing or non-binary and both, it's all good. Clothes are clothes. And so it really took, like, I remember that first time, like, Dakota wanted Batman pajamas. And I was like, okay. And so we're strolling through for the first time. And I'm like, wow, like this is such an experience that I, like my brain, just the way mm-hmm. that it's been programmed would have never gone. Let's mm-hmm. go through both areas. Mm-hmm. And it's, isn't that so silly? It's, it's so like there was silly. A, like, this in, it, invisible, like laser You never saw it before. Or, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've been in this target a hundred yeah. times yeah. and no never one once. ever. Yeah. No one ever said you couldn't go over there, but you just did it right like never did <laughs> never even never even thought to cross my mind same thing yeah. with the boys section of toys with my yeah. oldest uh, we just harper wanted all of the barbies all of the things from when she was very little everything was little mermaid okay and so when dakota was born same thing and everything was pink or purple and you know or white or whatever and never would have thought about that so what I do now is I I just simply ask Dakota, today, how do you feel? Do you feel, are you a boy or a girl? She tells me today, girl, 
okay. So then we use the pronouns that, that she asked for. Uh, if she said boy, then we use those pronouns. Uh, you know, and it's just, I'm navigating this whole thing, but going back to, uh, family members. So this was a real doozy. My mom, who is quite progressive in every other area of her life came to me and was like, listen, I think Dakota has this feeling because I can't have any more children because I had a life-threatening event after Dakota that you really wanted a boy that you're not going to have now worth it looking into adoption. And so I think Dakota is just trying to like fill this unmet need for you and that like somehow you're psychologically changing the way that Dakota feels about their gender. And so she goes, so until Dakota's, so I just want you to become really mindful of that, which was like totally dismissive of Dakota's, you know, like as if little kids don't know what's best for them. They absolutely do. And until she's older, I'm just going to refer to her as a girl. I was like, Kyle, (laughs) I don't even know what I don't I didn't even know what to say like I tried to fight back and I was like there are honestly just no words right now and if you're not going to be respectful of my child's wishes like I don't even know what to do here so hard yeah I'm sorry I'm sorry that is that is tough but you're right that Dakota's having this really fluid experience and is so lucky to be in a situation where they can be asked you know daily, weekly, whatever, right, where they know they can show up and, and tell you who they are and that you're going to advocate on for on their behalf. And it's just so interesting how, so what is going on to put some like language, I think that vocabulary is really important. So um, what's happening with your mom by saying like, I'm just going to like, assume that Dakota is a girl, and I'm going to use she her pronouns until Dakota gets older. And I guess can somehow more, you know, like convince, convince their grandma or something, but (laughs) it's called, it's called cis normativity. Mm -hmm. So, or even like cis sexism, this default that there's only two genders, right? You're either a boy or you're either a girl. And that is completely on top of whether you have a vulva or a penis and that's how it is. And we're not going to give any like gray area really to like, any experience outside of that binary. And there's just this distrust almost of like older people to younger people that are telling you what their experience is, are telling you what their identity is, are telling you how they want to express themselves. And it can be really gaslighting to be told that you're wrong, right? And we just don't do that with, what's your other child's name? Harper. Harper. And when did Harper start saying that she was a girl? Probably around uh, three when she started. Did anyone, did anyone gaslight Harper and say, no, 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 no. you're only three. How could you possibly know you're a girl? We're going to wait until you're 14, you know, and then (laughs) you can give us a a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) about why you're a girl and why we should believe you. Right. And so there's, cis normativity right where we're trying to kind of like tell kids who they are even though if they were cis we wouldn't question it when they start you know voicing their identity and the same thing happens with 
heteronormativity, right? So like Harper is a girl and you all believe her. But if tomorrow she said, I want to marry another girl, I want to, you know, I want to, I want, I love girls. Girls are the ones who make me feel excited. That's who I want to, I want to marry and be with. She might get gaslighted again. You know, like people are Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, this is a phase. She doesn't know what she's talking about. But if she was to say, I have a crush on this boy in my class, no one would question Question it. Right. So there's this like heteronormativity and kids who are completely sure of themselves as not being cisgender or not being straight are not believed and not trusted. And that's garbage. And we as parents, right, get to kind of cultivate an environment where I haven't assumed anything about who Zoomer is going to be sexually attracted to. And why do I sexualize kids like this? It's so bizarre how we do this, like, right in our own homes. We're over-sexualizing our kids from such a young age. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. And there's also this whole warped thing is like, oh, if we talk about body parts and if we talk about sex or we talk about gender, then we're automatically talking about sexual experiences and sexuality, which we need to separate these things, I think. And it's just so interesting the way... And the belief, because I remember being young and attracted to girls, and that really just summed up my experience of like, oh, this is probably just a phase, Um, was not a phase. But like, of, you know, I think about that desire to kiss the girl in first grade. And I, you know, I kissed a little boy or whatever. And everyone was like, oh, that's so cute. She has a crush. But had I kissed a girl, what would they have said? Right, right. I mean, what would they have said? Would they have been like, they're just friends, right? They have like, like, like people might not have even seen it through maybe a sexualized lens, right? And then that they do for a girl kissing a boy. But I think people are so scared of like children are sexual beings, right? Like they have it in them, you know? And like, and people are so afraid like at the same time that they totally hypersexualize kids, right? Like they're arranging marriages and, you know, among like little preschoolers and like these shirts, you know, that say things like heartbreaker, flirt, lock up your daughters, you know, dad says no dating till I'm 40. Like there's so much straight sexualization that goes into it. But I think that there's also this fear of children's sexuality and and people telling kids not to touch themselves, telling them it's dirty. It's, you know, that they shouldn't do that. Get your hands out of there. When I think it's like, that is your body. And I'm so pumped for you that you are finding it. And like, it is all yours. And I'm just going to close this door and like, see you later. You know, I, like, know. I think we can start to teach them boundaries of like, Oh, we don't masturbate. Like we don't masturbate out in the park at the picnic, you yep. know, but like, but, but by all means, like in the bathtub, in your room, like, please go for it. And like, let's start to set down these foundations where children are learning bodily autonomy. Children are learning that sexuality is a wonderful, healthy thing, especially self-pleasure. And then also teaching them like the foundation of consent, you know, of like, this is your body and you get to decide what to do with it. And this is my body and I get to decide what to do with it. And we'll, we'll talk to each other and like 
ask permission around things that are even just like, can I brush your hair now? You know, and just, I think that there's a lot of foundation that we can build in childhood around things that are completely not sexual, but help write the script for how our kids will think about sexuality when they're older and what they, what they deserve, you know, and, and the respect that they want to give other people as well that can just be, there's like these Easter eggs all through childhood, right? Where we can teach kids those principles that will then help them grow up to have really healthy sexual relationships with themselves and other people. And talk about just like protecting people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I was a child who was, uh, my sexual abuse began when I was like five. And so for me, when I started having kids, I wanted to be really intentional about the way that I raised them. And after much research, I decided that sex positive parenting was the way to go. And it's interesting because some of the people in my like recovery community were like, are you sure that like the, these are the conversations you want to be having with your kids? Because it almost feels counterintuitive, but it's actually not. Because when we teach our kids the proper terminology for their bodies, and when we teach them that loving their bodies and the things that it does for them and the ways that it makes them feel is actually a good thing, good thing, it gives them that autonomy over who they are. And then you do, you get to open that dialogue for consent. Like, you know, it, it's just like an interesting thing. I think, and, and it's true. And I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable that our children are inherently sexual beings from a very, very early age. And we can either shame them for that. And then that leads to like, eventually probably a lot of work that they're going to have to do later on in life. Um, Or we can just have these simple conversations of like, when we touch our private parts, we do so in private in our rooms. And then after we wash our hands and then we come back down and play and do whatever we're doing the rest of our day. I would really like to dive into terminology because I think that one of the things that's holding people back from diving into this work is that it's overwhelming the amount of terminology. I know that I felt that when I started mm-hmm. this only like a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot. So would you mm-hmm. please um, kind of lay down the foundation for the audience and explain maybe the like most, you know, so that way we can be informed. Like, and I think it starts with, you know, we, t- we talked about cisgender relationship or uh I'm sorry, what did we say? Heteronormative relationships. We've covered like a lot of different terminology and I think a lot of people might feel a little bit overwhelmed. So maybe we'll give them a little dictionary. Yeah. Well, and also like, I'm like, I'm still learning, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm still learning every day new terms and even my own little personal glossary has changed a lot over the years that I've been doing this. So I completely understand how it can feel overwhelming. But also like, it's okay, there's not going to be a quiz and we can like just keep learning, you know, and, and, and just being humble to it, right? To the learning process of like, I don't know what that means. And thank heavens, we have the internet and there's some really incredible resources out there. <clears throat> and something that I think is also can be helpful is even just looking on Instagram, or like looking at hashtags, right? If you're like, I don't really understand what non-binary means. Mm. Like I follow the hashtag non-binary and I love seeing the diversity in people's experiences, right? Or like I follow the hashtag of gender creative parenting and I see how everybody does it in their own unique way. Some things that are probably important to know as far as terminology goes, 
when I say cisgender or when someone says cisgender, that typically means that someone's gender identity aligns with the the sex they were assigned at birth or the gender that they were assigned at birth. So if someone um, was born and they had a vulva and the doctor said it's female and the parents said it's a girl and, you know, raised this kid to be a girl. Um, and then later that kid grows up and identifies as a woman and, and feels like their current gender identity matches what they were assigned at birth, then that is called cisgender. And then if someone was, you know, born and had a vulva and the same thing happened with like saying, oh, it's female, it's a girl and socialized to be a girl, but then was like, no, like you got it wrong. I'm, I'm a boy. Um, then that could be that, that is called transgender. Um, and then what I think is really important though, is like when we're saying boys and girls, that we're including trans kids in that, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I say women, I mean cisgender women and transgender women. I don't say women and transgender women, right? Like women are women are women are women. Um, so I think that that's a good little language thing to kind of mm -hmm. start to get into the practice of. Um, so there is cisgender, there is transgender, someone who is non-binary might have been assigned a gender and when they grow up they don't really want to identify within the binary or they sometimes identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth and so the non-binary experience just like the cisgender experience or a transgender experience is super diverse right like no two women have the exact same like experiences or perspectives about womanhood i think that like leaning into this idea that gender happens along a spectrum is really important. So like people will hear the gender spectrum and the gender binary. So the gender binary is this idea, you know, that there's just boys and girls and they grow up to be men and women. When we know there are all types of gender experiences. And so instead of thinking of it like two boxes that people have to fit into, think of it like this, like, long, fun, funky, labyrinth, yes. choose your own adventure, <clears throat> rainbow, where it's just like, find your spot and also yes. feel free to like explore the grounds and like, you know, and, and so thinking about gender as a spectrum and that holds space for the fact that there are a lot of people out there who are still identify within like a binary type of existence. And that can happen along the gender spectrum too, right? Like it is totally fine for your uncle to be like, I am a male through and through. I am a boy. I am a man. I am here. I'm never moving out of this box, you know? And it's like, cool, uncle, hang out. And no one is trying to push you out of that box, right? Like if that's where you're comfortable, right on. But you get to acknowledge the fact that not everybody wants to be in that box with you. And, and so that's kind of that idea of the gender spectrum. And so that's a good place to kind of start my main tip would be truly the internet is your friend. And I think that, you you know, people need to find um, credible sources, you know, and um, I think it's really, really important to find um, just websites or blogs or resources that are evidence-based or, or are scientific or peer-reviewed or, or something, you know, but not all the time, right? Even just following some really cool queer folks on Twitter or Instagram yeah. is just a lesson, you know, in yeah. and of itself. And I try, you know, for anyone who follows me, I try to put little pearls, you know, in here and there and words to, and try to explain myself. So 
I think just open to learning is a big part of it. I agree. I think it's being willing to just acknowledge the fact that like we were born and raised into this system the same way that we were into this system of white supremacy, right? We were into this gender construct that has become the mind fuck that it is now that I'm in this work. I'm like, whoa, I have to unlearn like everything that I've learned. Um, But I think it's true. Some of the most amazing people that I follow that are always helpful. So we've got Kyle, um, which is K-Y-L underscore Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, correct? And then uh, we have Bethany C. Myers, which is M-Y-M-E-Y-M-E-Y-E-R-S. And uh, Bethany has really just been so helpful there, when I started to do this work and was so confused, I mean, just talk about amazing. I, I was like, do you know of any child books on, for kids that are like LGBTQ plus, like, you know, supportive? And they instantly reached out to the entire community on mm. via stories and had a whole story series up for me within, uh, you know, a day. It was amazing. That's lovely. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're big fans of Ashley Marie Preston. She came on the podcast, an incredible um, trans woman who shared her uh, journey. So if you want to start following these people, I think it's really great. And then, of course, your book, which is coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. I can't wait and will absolutely be picking that up. I saw that you're recording an audiobook. Are you planning, because I'm a big Audible fan, are you planning on releasing both at the same time by any chance? <laughs> yes, yes. So they will both be released on September 8th. So Awesome. Before this, they will be out when this It will airs, be out now. I believe. Yes, it'll yeah. be out now. And I can't wait. Um, just to wrap it up, what was your experience like writing that book? Oh, overall, really positive. Um, but it's a long process. It was a long process. I started writing it, um, in the fall of 2018 and finished it like in the winter of 2019, pretty much. And then, right. I've just been waiting for it to come out, but I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity to write a book. It wasn't until I sat down and started writing our story that I had to do like the recall work of like just not only the years of parenting Zoomer, but like the years leading up to parenting Zoomer and my childhood and my adolescence and my young adulthood. And like, it was just this like wonderful process of trying to put all of the millions of pieces of my life together to try to make some sense around why did I want to parent this way, you know? And why was I so hellbent on being a public advocate for it, you know, to help spread the message to people who might be open to hearing it. And it was so fun. And I think Everybody has a story in them, and I wish more people would write their memoirs, really, um, especially reading it just now. I recorded the audiobook last week. It made me love our story even more and made me 
love the book even more and made me really excited to just like play it in the car for Zoomer for, you know, like, I think that that will be a really cool way to facilitate a conversation with them of like, let's listen to your story, babe. And like, you know, have a conversation about it. And so it was good. I want to write another one. I want to write another because raising them covers kind of my background and everything leading up to having Zoomer. And then it's from like ages zero to three with Zoomer and now Zoomer's four and a half, you know, and, and our experience is dramatically different the way we're, it's just leveled up how we're talking about um, gender and learning about gender and Zoomer's questions that they have. Like they weren't super, I mean, they were vocal, but they didn't have like the cognitive awareness to really dive deep into gender, right? Like I think people assume that I must be giving some like gender studies lecture to Zoomer every day, all day. And that's so not it. No. Our life looks remarkably like everybody else's life, right? And, but now it's really different, you know, and seeing the evidence of how gender creative parenting has worked, you know, and then also seeing how strong culture and media is and how constantly I have to rip down the stereotypes and have to constantly counteract the me- the media that Zoomer is watching and the narratives and what they're hearing from their peers. You know, it's just like, wow, you know, like the media is strong and culture is strong and we're not doing this in a vacuum, just like everybody else, right? Like I have the same struggles as all of the other parents out there who want to raise mm. kids who have an understanding of social justice, you know? So, yes. yeah, yeah, but it was good. And I really hope people like it. And I feel so scared for it to be out there because it's like so vulnerable and our story, it's like our little story <laughs> yeah. going to be out there. But, I have a feeling it's going to be amazing and I can't wait to get my hands on it. So raising them is available now. I highly suggest that you follow along with Kyle's journey on Instagram because wow, I learned so much from you. It is great. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This week's affirmation is I am allowed to take the time that I need to heal. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.